Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 220 of the SCO Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, back in the big chair for today, Monday, November 22nd, 2021. It is, at least here in the States, it is Thanksgiving week. Patriots fans have a lot to be thankful for, and we're going to Kind of dive into that. This is, in a way, a, a delayed, glorious victory installment of the SCO show. We are going to talk in the second half of the show about Mac Jones from Thursday night as the New England Patriots improved to 7-4 and in the season with a 25-0 victory over the Atlanta Falcons. That's going to be in the second half of the show. We're going to talk Mac Jones. Mac Jones heavy in the second half of the show. First half of the show, though, going to be a little different. A little different, and you'll, you'll see why in a second. But before we do all that, your usual cavalcade of reminders, please do follow along with the hijinks on the Bird app at Mark Schofield. Check out the work. Matt Waldeman's RSP Quick Game Podcast. Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, right here at Pat's Pulpit. Blog of the Boys, where I'm going to be diving into Dak Prescott at his game against the, da- the, excuse me, the Kansas City Chiefs on Monday. And, of course, USA Today's Touchdown Wire. And that's kind of where I want to begin. Because as you wake up today, Patriots fans, you wake up fans of the AFC East leading New England Patriots. Their victory to get the 7-4 combined with a shocking loss by the Buffalo Bills getting blown out at home by the Indianapolis Colts. New England Patriots now not only in the lead in the AFC East, they're now the three seed. And if the playoffs were to begin today, they would host the Buffalo Bills on Wild Card Weekend. Imagine, if you will, after, say, the Saints loss, that, yeah, Thanksgiving week, Thanksgiving Day, and they'd be sitting there atop the AFC East at 7-4. You wouldn't have believed it. And so I want to talk, in a sense, about the Buffalo Bills. Because as I mentioned, the Giga touchdown wire. 
as that game between the Bills and the Colts was unfolding, something started to click in my mind. And it, it was really spurred in part by a tweet from Seth Walder, ESPN's analytic head over there. And he pointed out that in the first half, the Colts pressured Josh Allen on eight of his 20 first-half dropbacks. That's on pace to be Allen's highest pressure rate of the season. So that got me thinking. And it sent me down a rabbit hole of watching Josh Allen and the Bills. And some themes began to emerge. You look at the week one loss against the Steelers. You look at the loss to the Titans. You look at the loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And so a theme kind of emerged from watching and rewatching those games during the afternoon on Sunday. Pressure, right? Pressure on Josh Allen leading to mistakes, leading to sacks, leading to interceptions, leading to risky throws and things like that. And so I started working through this piece on how teams are pressuring Josh Allen this year and how it might sort of be a fatal flaw. And it was sort of building from there. You know, and I, I highlighted all these clips of him being pressured and sacks and all these things. And I had some quotes from, you know, Sean McDermott talking about, look, we can't win one-on-one matchups. And I'm highlighting the fact that a lot of these plays, it's not like exotic blitzes or anything like that. It's guys winning one-on-one matchups up front that are leading to pressure. But then the piece sort of took an interesting turn. Because if you look at it, Allen is actually putting up very similar numbers this year when pressured as he was last year. Last season, including the playoffs, no quarterback was pressured more than Josh Allen. Josh Allen was pressured on 280 dropbacks. Again, that includes the playoffs. That's ahead of Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, But on those dropbacks, he completed 49.8% of his passes for 1,478 yards, 14 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. Again, that's one pressured last year according to Pro Football Focus. And interestingly enough, his adjusted completion percentage when pressured was 64.9%, which placed him 12th in the league. Pretty good. Not too bad. This year, Josh Allen has been pressured so far. This does not include Sunday's game against the Colts. He has been pressured 135 times, which is fifth most in the league, tied with Teddy Bridgewater. Nine touchdowns, two interceptions. Completion percentage of 48.6. Just a dip below last year's completion percentage when pressured, but not some drastic change. His adjusted completion percentage when pressured, it ranks him 17th. Again, this is entering Sunday's game against the Colts. So a dip. You know, it's 63.2%, so it's a dip of about 6 percentage points, not a drastic change or anything like that. But here's the thing. As I mentioned, I I sort of talked about how, yeah, you know, there's guys that aren't winning one-on-one matchups up front, and, you know, Steelers game, you had T.J. Watton, Cameron Hayward, You know, Titans, you've got Landry, you've got Autry. They've got some guys up front. Even Josh Allen in the Jaguars game, Josh Allen, the pass rusher, and Dwayne Swoot. Those guys were winning some one-on-ones. Here's the critical difference between this year and last year and why, even though Allen is producing similar numbers when pressured last year as opposed to this year, and Allen, also to his credit, 
he's incredibly good at avoiding sacks when pressured. This year, on his 135 dropbacks when pressured, he's been sacked just 14 times, 10.4% pressure to sack percentage, which is second lowest in the league. It was very similar last year. Last year, again, he was pressured more than anybody. 280 pressure dropbacks last year, just 33 sacks, a pressure to sack percentage rate of 11.8%. Last year, this year, the pressure numbers in many ways are the same, but how it's happening is drastically different. Last year, according to Pro Football Reference, Josh Allen was blitzed 244 times last year in the regular season alone. That was almost 40 snaps more than the guy that was in second, Russell Wilson. Teams blitzed Allen a ton last year. This year... It is a much different story. Josh Allen this year has been blitzed to this point 79 times. And this doesn't include Sunday. The Colts did dial up some pressures. But that entering Sunday's play was just 19th most in the league. Last year, nobody blitzed. Nobody's blitzed more than Josh Allen. This year, that number has fallen dramatically. That gets us to the Bigger point here. Teams are getting pressure with four because they're winning those one-on-one matchups up front. Why does this matter on a New England Patriots show? Need I remind you of Matthew Judon? Need I remind you of Christian Barmore? Need I remind you of the fact that over the past couple of weeks as the Patriots have sort of rounded into their version of themselves, their version, their almost finalized form of the 2021 New England Patriots, they have become a heavy zone team that can get pressure up front with four. We've seen this be successful against Josh Allen and the Bills this year in games like, you know, the Steelers won, the Titans won, the the Jaguars won, and the All-22 and advanced stats from Sunday against the Colts are not out yet, but something tells me you might see a similar trend here. If you can get pressure with four, you have a very good chance at disrupting their passing game and forcing some mistakes. He's performing the same way, when pressured this year. But the problem is, now he's got to throw against seven in coverage. Teams can get pressure with four. Teams can win those one-on-one matchups. And when they have not just two games against the Patriots, but they have a game against the Carolina Panthers, who can get pressure with four, Brian Burns, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who can get pressure with four. This is a big deal. And so my sort of ultimate conclusion in talking about this is that It might not be a fatal flaw, but it's a flaw. And this year, as opposed to last year, the Bills don't have this big margin for error. Last year, obviously, the Patriots were trying to figure things out. The Dolphins were trying to figure things out. They're in second place in the East now. And so there's no margin for error for them right now. And so while you might be able to get away with a mistake last year on a pressure play or take a sack or whatever when you're pressured, even though Allen had pretty good numbers, this year you don't have that luxury if you're the Buffalo Bills. And so on a weekend when it seemed like everything went right for the New England Patriots, they certainly clicked for them while they were home watching on a mini buy. This issue with Allen and being pressured before and how it's been a recipe for success against the Bills, that might be a perfect setup for New England as we start thinking about that huge Monday night game two weeks from now. But, of course, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We have the Tennessee Titans to deal with, and 
you know, they're struggling right now, too, without Derrick Henry. Benjamin Solak from the Rainer had a fantastic piece about what the loss of Henry means to their offense, and so I'd invite you to check that out. But up next, we're going to shift gears look back at Thursday night. Talk some Mac Jones. That's ahead here on episode 219. A delayed, excuse me, 220. A delayed glorious victory installment of the Sco Show. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 220 of the Sco Show, and let's talk Mac Jones. Obviously, look, Christian Barmore, Matthew Judon, the Patriots defense, multiple interceptions. They were a huge part of that victory on Thursday night. But as we do each week, we take a lot of time and talk about Mac Jones. And the Mac attack video for week 11 was already up. It was put up Thursday. So if you've checked that out, a lot of this might be repetitive for you. I've got some other plays that I do want to talk about. Uh, But Jones, 22 of 26 for 207, one touchdown, one interception, three sacks. Going to try to get to, to some of these plays here. And the first play I sort of want to talk about was a connection to Jonu Smith early in the game. It's a 17-yard gain, first and 10 of the New England 34 at the 9.52 mark. Patriots have both Smith and Henry released into the flat from win alignments. And they run post over Aguilar on the post, Myers on the over. So Myers is sort of your, your middle intermediate read. Now, the thing to recognize here is post over, very common concept. And on this play, there is an opportunity to hit that over route. The corner, Moreau, he kind of matches. It's sort of a a zone match here where Moreau stays on the deep post route from Aguilar that's working from the left side to the middle of the field. And then you've got two deep safeties that are staying over the top of that. Backside corner, A.J. Terrell, he does not, he zones off. Once Jacoby Myers works to the middle of the field, he zones off. So there is a window to hit Myers on that over route. Now the issue is Smith is open in the flat. So it becomes, what do you want the quarterback to do? If you want it to be more aggressive, you'd like to see him attack that downfield. But you've got Jonu Smith open in the flat for an easy completion. And that's what he takes. Simple throw right at the line of scrimmage, turn it into a 17-yard gain. You know, it's hard to sort of fault Mac Jones for taking that profit there. Next play I want to talk about, the touchdown to Aguilar is interesting because, you know, you almost wonder if A.J. Terrell is freelancing here. You know, you've got... 21 offensive personnel. You've got the fullback in the game. Damian Harris is going to release to the left flat. They're in man coverage, and it's clear pre-snap. Myers goes in motion across the formation. Defender trails. Moreau trails him across the formation. Now, I know it's not a guarantee. You know, teams can shift that up pre-snap and post-snap. So, you know, there there's a chance it's still zone, at least... It could be when the ball is snapped, but it plays out pretty much like man. Linebacker matches Johnson to the flat. As Harris swings out, the other linebacker matches that route as well. It plays out sort of like one cross underneath where when Henry goes on a crosser over the middle, first defender passes him to the second defender and then he robs or sits in a robber alignment in the middle of the field. The issue is A.J. Terrell. 
as Nelson Aguilar starts on the shallow route across the middle of the field, Terrell starts with him, but he sees the back go to the flat. He's reading Jones's eyes, and he peels off Aguilar for no reason. Maybe he's expecting them to switch, but you know, as the play starts, he can see from his peripheral that the linebacker's going with Aguilar. I mean, excuse me, with Harris. My thinking here is Terrell's thinking he can poach this, make a play, because he's expecting Jones to check it down. Jones does it. Instead throws to Aguilar on the crosser. And you get a touchdown. I wanted to talk about two of the sacks. The first one is a sack that comes... I'm trying to find it here. Late in the first half. 55 seconds left in the first half. This is a second four of the plus 30-yard line. And Dean Pease does a very good job with protection rules. This is a five-man protection scheme, and they bring just four here, but they still get pressure. It's a five-man protection scheme in New England's parlance. It's either 72 or 73 protection, depending on the mic point. And you can't, the view I have, you don't see that. 72-73 means it's a five-man protection. The back out of the backfield has a free release. In this case, Brandon Bolden has a free release. There is no pass protection responsibilities for him. The defensive end to that side, Fowler, he drops off. So the three rusher, the other three guys up front, Graham, Jarrett, and Vodders, they come. The blitz comes from Hall, the corner in the slot. But even though he comes from the slot, they should have this blocked up. They should have it blocked up with the slide to the right, the three-man slide to the right, with the center, the right guard, and the right tackle. Because Andrews can take Jarrett. The right guard can fan out to Vaughters. Mason can fan out to him. And then even though Vaughters comes initially to the inside, Trent Brown can help Mason initially and then peel off to get the blitzer out of the edge, or at least get enough of him. That peel comes late. And so while it looks like Mac Jones isn't even aware of this, he's expecting it's going to get blocked up. You've got five to block four. The problem is the angle that the corner takes with when, excuse me, with Brown coming off a bit late, it's hard for them him to get there in time. Let's talk about the interception. The interception was just a very good play. Uh, I broke this down in depth. There's been a long discussion about it over at the YouTube channel. But first off, I love the design. I absolutely love the design of this play. Because you've got everything is screaming to the defense. You are going to run the football. It's first and 10 at the plus 38. You have... 22 offensive personnel in the game. So you have Jacoby, excuse me, Jakob Johnson in at fullback, Damian Harrison at running back. You got the two tight ends, Smith and Henry, in the game, and you get Nikhil Harry as the receiver. And I think this is a critical point because everything about this is screaming, hey, we're in plus territory, first and 10, it's 13 nothing, you know, five minutes left in the third quarter. We're going to run the football here, work a little clock. So you get base 3 4 to operate against. They go four verts out of play action. I love the way that McDaniel sets this up. You have everything in the world that can possibly scream we're going to run the football shown in front of the Atlanta Falcons. 
Jakob Johnson runs an out and up from the left wing. Nikhil Harry runs an out and up from the right wing. And then you get the seam routes up the middle. They run single high cover three. This is a dream scenario for a quarterback. Base defense, single high, cover three. What do you want to do? Four verts against single high. You got the inside seam routes from the two tight ends, Smith and Henry. Move them to one, that post safety, throw the other. Jones does a very good job of that. He moves that post safety to Ron Harmon towards Hunter Henry with his eyes. Then he comes back and he tries to hit Jonu Smith up the other seam just like you draw it up, just like your coach to do it. The problem is somebody else was coached to do something really well, and that's A.J. Terrell. And this is very similar to an interception the Patriots had. Somebody on the YouTube channel pointed it out that, you know, Bill Belichick, Chris Sims pointed out on a, a J.C. Jackson interception, the corner is taught to midpoint those two verticals, relate to both of those vertical routes, the inside seam and the outside seam, so you could potentially help that safety in the middle of the field because if the quarterback comes and throws that inside seam that you're midpointing near, you could perhaps make a play on the ball or the body. Terrell does a perfect job of that midpoint and relating between both the out and out from Nikhil Harry and John O. Smith's inside seam. And he's doing this while keeping his eyes just straight on, trained on Mac Jones. And so when Jones separates his hand to throw, Terrell is breaking on it. So it's a great play by AJ Terrell. The question becomes, what's the lesson here for Mac Jones? I think the lesson is, one, you know, you've done a good job at manipulating him, but you have to make sure of that throw. You've got your eyes left on that seam. Once you come back, you have to be quick, but you've got to at least account for that backside corner. Because here Jones is looking, then it's just a quick reset and throw. Now, again, you don't want to take too much time to look at that because that safety is not going to just say, oh, well, he's clearly going to this side and stay over there. He's reading your eyes too. So Harmon, once he sees you come back to the other side of the field, he's going to then work that way. So you can't wait too long. But the lesson here is don't assume because he's assuming as he's maneuvering, moving the safety with his eyes, that Terrell might not be there. When you bring your eyes back to the right side to throw that seam route, Jonah Smith, just make sure that safety isn't, uh, excuse me, that corner isn't doing what Terrell does here. If he is, you can still make that throw, but you got to drill it in there with a bit more velocity. So I think that's sort of the lesson here. I also, I missed, I didn't include it in the video, a, th a few plays prior to that. The invert to blitz was such a great design. This was third and five at the 748 mark where Deron Harmon gets a 10-yard running head start on an invert look and a free rush at Mac Jones. But Jones, knowing that it's unblocked, handles it extremely well. Drift, drift away from the pressure, and he makes a throw with Harmon in his face to Jacoby Myers for the conversion. I thought that was a huge throw. Um, I also wanted to talk about the other sack in this game, this was a 12-yard loss on third and eight. And this is sort of a mug look that the Patriots have a call for. We've seen the Patriots, and they do it on this play. When you've got those mugged-up defenders, they take the running back, in this case Brandon Bolin, and they're putting him in that sniffer alignment. The Patriots are doing more of this. More teams are doing more of this. 
so he can help on the interior. But when you do that in their protection schemes, they've got what's called a squeeze call. And here's what that means. And I'm reading from their playbook right now. Zero blitz looks weak side B-gap mug adjustment. In the event that a weak safety defined as such by the quarterback's mic declaration, and in this case, this is a weak safety, walks into the line of scrimmage in the B-gap or ends up at the line of scrimmage at the snap, the backside tackle, in this case Isaiah Wynn, must alert to a squeeze to protect the pocket from inside-out threats. This is an example, this sack of Dean Pease knowing their rules, defensive coordinators study this stuff, and exploiting them because you get that scenario. The weak side safety, Harris, walks down to the line of scrimmage at the snap with this mugged-up look. And they're sliding the protection from the left guard, Ted Karras, on over all to the right. Because you've got that mugged up look. You're trying to get it all blocked up to that side. But that's leaving Wynn alone on the backside. And now he's got Fowler and Harris, the free safety, lurking. And so he has to make what's called a squeeze call. He is going to protect inside out. He's going to handle the inside threat. And he's going to let the outside threat go. Quarterback has to be aware of it. But you'll let that outside guy go if he does come. Because you want to protect inside out first. You know? Shortest path between two points is a straight line. The inside threat is more dangerous. The outside threat, the quarterback can kind of deal with that. So you can see pre-snap, Wynn is pointing that out, making that squeeze call. And as the play begins, Fowler comes up, Harris comes as well, but Fowler is inside of him. And so everybody else is sliding to the right. Bolden comes in, inserts himself to help against the mug defender that comes. So initially, it looks like it's going to all be blocked up. But then Harris has a crease because once Wynn commits to take the inside threat at the moment, Fowler, that opens up a crease for Harris to now become the inside threat by looping inside. And that's how you get the free rusher towards Mac Jones. So Jones is hearing the squeeze call. They're sliding the protection to the right. And he's thinking, look, the inside threat's going to be blocked. I might have to speed things up if we get that outside blitz, but I'm going to have a window to make a throw. They do a great job adjusting to that, creating the free rusher, and they get the sack. Now, Jones could still be quicker. He doesn't really check what happens there. At the bare minimum, he should confirm that, okay, both of them are coming. I have to speed things up. Even if he just assumes that Wynn's going to end up taking the inside guy, he still has to know that I'm going to have to speed things up anyway. So he takes a bit more time than he should on that. But that's how that play came together. It's an, an example of Dean Pease doing a good job and doing his homework. Um, so those are the plays that I really wanted to highlight. Again, big picture. New England Patriots are right now the three seed. They're in first place in the AFC East. Mac Jones is getting better every week. The defense is playing phenomenal football. And they have what looked to be right now two winnable games before their bye where they could go into the bye week now at 9-4. And, and if they get to 9-4, and four, there's a good chance they might be the two, the one. Things have changed in a hurry. Now, of course, there's the flip side. They could lose to Tennessee. They could lose to Buffalo. They could split the games. It's been a weird year. But sitting here right now on the cusp of Thanksgiving, things are looking up. That's certainly something to be thankful for.
Now, this is Thanksgiving week. I will have a show Wednesday. It will be a mailbag show predominantly. I haven't done one in a while. I was going to do one. Something came up. So get in some questions. Drop them you know, on the Bird app at Mark Schofield. You can DM them to me if you DM them to me if you want. The DMs are always open. Um, I'll put up the Clarion call as well. Um, you can ask about anything. I, I say this all the time. I am an open book. You can ask me about football stuff, non-football stuff, Thanksgiving stuff, anything. I am an open book. You can ask me why I'm such an idiot. I'll try to answer it too. Um, but that will be Wednesday's show. We'll get that out for you Wednesday morning. Until then, friends, stay safe. Wash your hands. Check in on your neighbors. Check in on your loved ones. And you wash those hands. Sin along. And bless the Patriots' reigns. Down and fall.